when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi everyone, welcome to Snow's History. One of the good things about this lockdown has been everyone's increased familiarity with things like Zoom and Google Hangouts and stuff. We're all doing video conferencing. We're all pros at it now. And so it's been a really lovely thrill for me that we've been able to offer subscribers to History Hit one live Zoom webinar every week, one live podcasting record. And so every week we get a historian on. We started Peter Frankopan. We got Rutger Bregman. We had Natalie Haynes from about the Trojan War. That was so good this week. Uh, and last week we had Kate Lister. Kate Lister has been on the podcast before. She wrote A Curious History of Sex. She is the genius historian of sex behind Whores of Yore on Twitter, on social media. You've got to go and check that out. It is remarkable to have a unique Twitter account, something no one else is doing. And Whores of Yore is exactly that. If you want to look at some vintage pornography from the earliest days of photography in the 19th century, or hear the etymological root of some of the rudest words in the English language, then Whores of Yore is the feed for you. But Kate Lister came back on this podcast and she thrilled both me and all the listeners to the Zoom with her description of sex in lockdown, sex in quarantine. Humans have been through great pandemics before. There is nothing new about quarantining, about being locked down. And fun enough, being humans, people have been having sexual relations within that context. So this is a podcast when I was very aware of the fact I need to be mindful about not oversharing my own experiences within lockdown, within my marriage. And I think I mostly avoided that. So if my wife's listening to this, I hope it's okay. This was a great one to record. We had John Nickel do a live podcast. That was great fun for everyone involved. Natalie Haynes, as I said, we've got some really exciting ones coming from the next few months. You get to join those Zoom calls. You get to ask questions. You get to hang out with us. If you are a subscriber to History Hit TV, it's like Netflix for history, but you get all the old podcasts on there, lots of audio, not just my podcast, lots of other podcasts too, hundreds of history documentaries. And you also now get access to this Zoom call, stuff like that. And you can become a member of a WhatsApp group, just in case your phone isn't exploding enough with WhatsApp messages. Please go and do that at historyhit.tv. Use the code POD1, P-O-D-1, and you get a month for free. And then a second month for just one pound, euro or dollar. Go and check it out. In the meantime, everyone, here is the wonderful Kate Lister. Enjoy. Kate Lister, thank you very much for coming back on the podcast. We had to have you because the last one was so popular. We had to get you back on again. Well done. I think most of that was my mum downloading it. But thank you. I appreciate that. Well, actually, speaking of success, I just want to quickly follow up on a Twitter video I saw where you donated, I think, a proportion of your book, the success. Can you just tell us what that was about? Because it was very moving. 
I published the book Curious History of Sex with a group called Unbound and they use a crowdfunded model. So they kind of work out exactly how much it's going to cost to publish it. And then people effectively pre-order it, but pre-order it by several years. So thank you for everyone for being really patient with that. But I said that everything that I got in the pledges, I was going to split 50-50 and all the profits 50-50 were going to go with Basis Yorkshire, who are a very, very small charity. They help women and they have a section that is devoted to supporting sex workers and they were set up in the wake of the Peter Sutcliffe attacks in Yorkshire so they do some really amazing work with super vulnerable people and right now as you can imagine sex workers are even more vulnerable than usual. I finally got the money all the figures were tallied and counted and everything and they cut me the check and then I was able to give half of it to basis and that felt really nice. Well, it felt really nice for the hundreds of thousands of people that liked and watched that video as well. So that was fantastic. Now, Kate, you have been doing some research lately, following up on your brilliant book, A Curious History of Sex, which I read in about one sitting. You have been doing research on sex in the time of lockdown and quarantine. What evidence do we have? How far back can we go? What's the best sources you've come across? It depends really on what kind of sources do you want to look at? Because if you're going to look at something like the Black Death, for example, we've got chronicles and we've got monks writing about things and they do write about sex, but they're not exactly reliable for peer reviewed data and social science and sample sizes and all that stuff. But we do have the evidence there. So in a lot of epidemics and pandemics, people worry a lot about sex and they worry a lot about sexual sin. That tends to be what happens. Like, what on earth have we done to deserve this? We must have done something. Who's been shagging someone they shouldn't have been shagging? That sort of theory. And that goes a lot with the Black Death. You see that. But then as you're kind of getting into more like the 20th century, then we get more what you'd probably call reliable peer-reviewed data. So people have been researching this. The supposed, I think they called it the blackout baby phenomenon. It's not as horrible as it sounds. It's not somebody literally blacking out a baby. But in 1965, there was the big New York power cut. And there was lots of anecdotal stories that, you know, nine months after that, it was, oh, baby boomer crisis. So they called them the blackout babies. So there's lots of anecdotal evidence about it. And there has been some studies into it. And kind of most of them say it's not true, unfortunately. But there's a lot of anecdotal stuff about it. So it's quite a recognised phenomenon. Just going back to the Black Death, which everyone's talking about at the moment, but you do get people talking about extreme licentiousness that wonderful word that scholars use to describe people having a good time and shagging. And... It's my favourite thing, that, is scholars being academic, talking about sex and the stuff that they come up with. Autoerotica was one I heard for once for someone having a wank. I loved that. I thought that was brilliant. When I hear that, I think asphyxiation, like that Tory MP in the 90s, that sounds kind of scary to me. Yeah, that sounds scarier, doesn't it? Autoerotica. Do you think the act of being locked down, there isn't much to do? So I guess, do you have any evidence of sexual activity increased between partners? I gotta say, as someone with three kids, if there is a baby boom after this, they will be babies that are the firstborn. <laughs> I just think it's pretty tough if you've already got children. Well, you'll be pleased to know that the Kinsey Institute in America, they're currently running research on COVID-19 and people's sexual behaviour right now. So this is kind of very much emerging research. In fact, I think it might even be ongoing. So go to their website and maybe you could start giving them your info. I don't know. But what they're finding is that it isn't actually making people hornier. In fact, it's decreasing people's sex drive. So we went into this thinking exactly what you were saying is, you know, oh, it's really quiet. Everybody's locked in together. Of course, we'll all be shagging like crazy. But that's not what's actually happening. But I suppose that then we need to distinguish between that and 
the times when we come out of lockdown and you get the kind of release of the 1920s and you get perhaps the release following the Black Death. Is there a kind of boomerang effect? That's something that's coming out in the research as well, is that people, although they're not really making any difference right now while people are in lockdown, there is a general feeling that as soon as we're let off the leash, that we're going to kind of go a bit nuts. And that's something that you see all throughout history. When the Black Death, it first took out Europe in the 14th century and then came back periodically. There was descriptions after it had abated in Italy of women, especially widows, being completely, quote, unrestrained in their lust and going after absolutely everybody. And there's lots of monks and religious theologians who are really upset that they thought this terrible, terrible pandemic, this epidemic would have stopped people from misbehaving. And it hasn't. It seems to have had exactly the opposite. In fact, there had to be a papal bull that was, I think it was sent out in 1393 to try and stop people shagging in the graveyards in France. There was this kind of just real, like, oh my God, we got through it. But maybe we'll be doing that, I'm not sure. I wonder if that's the same as the sort of roaring 20s, you know, the early years, the 1920s, following the war and Spanish influenza, whether there was a similar... The research that's going on at the moment, published in 2008, and it was in the Journal of Population Economy or something like that. And that was looking at that effect of what you're saying is like low-level trauma versus high-level trauma. And what they found was when a population has been through something that's really traumatic, it doesn't increase their sex drive but when it's through something kind of moderately traumatic then it does so there is something going on with exactly what is it that you've been exposed to and i can completely see why war would do that to somebody yeah totally but if you're on the eastern front and your village has been destroyed there's been genocide and vast sexual crimes that that doesn't make you that horny but you can see that what we've been through which is actually for most people in this country thank goodness a fairly mild form of trauma you could see that would be quite exciting point here from Liz, just a reminder everyone listening to this podcast that History Hit subscribers, this is one of our live Zoom podcasts, so we've got lots of History Hit subscribers listening in, and a point from Liz going, I work with families and babies and we're always busy in nine months after a scare or an extra holiday. See, that's the thing, people say this and I believe them completely, but it's one of those weird things where the research doesn't fully bear it out, although there are some studies that show that after a kind of a low-level trauma I don't know quite how you'd categorize that that it does make people I guess maybe not horny but it kind of flicks something doesn't it is that death and sex do go quite closely together in the human psyche there's nothing quite like being reminded of your own mortality to think well I'm going to get it on of course you're aware that there's a massive sort of genre of books about war which says exactly that doesn't it it's extraordinary the effect that being in the war zone has I haven't seen it much this time round, interestingly. I thought there'd be more of it. People complaining about, with the exception of Professor Neil Ferguson, of course, not the historian, I quickly add, that people are breaking the lockdown to go and have sex. I would imagine that in previous lockdowns or quarantines, that that would be a sort of complaint. And I haven't seen that much with this time. Has there been much belly aching around that? You see a little bit like young people out on the streets together, but I haven't had that specifically saying, typical, you know, these people are sneaking around to each other's houses. Hi, I'm Matt Lewis, historian and host of a new chapter of the Echoes of History podcast. If you're an Assassin's Creed fan, and like me, want to be prepared for the launch of Assassin's Creed Shadows later this year, join us on Echoes of History as we head to feudal Japan to explore the real-life history that inspired the latest game from this legendary franchise. Learn about Yasuke, the African warrior who entered the trusted circle 
of Japan's most powerful warlord. Hear accounts of cultures colliding when Portuguese missionaries landed on Japanese shores and follow Japan's journey through years of division and bitter warfare to unification at the dawn of the modern era. Make sure you catch every episode by following Echoes of History, a Ubisoft podcast brought to you by History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I think that people have been quite well behaved in this pandemic. I mean, I've got absolutely no doubt that people have been breaking the lockdown. Mm-hmm-hmm. We've heard of a few recently, haven't we? Of course they have. But generally, kind of what happens with these things is it's sort of like a social group peer pressure is we all come together and then we stop operating as individual and we start operating as a collective almost. And we're censoring our own behavior, which is why you get the curtain twitches and the people looking out the window going like, oh, my, I don't think they're going on exercise again for the third time today is, yeah, they are being busybodies, but it's also part of a group psychology is where we are actually policing each other's behavior. And one of the things that's allowed us to do that very effectively this time is social media, TV, the technology that we can keep in contact with one another. We didn't have any of that in the past. So people would have been breaking lockdown a lot more. This is a question about very recent history and so contemporary history. As a scholar, are the data figures around things like, do you remember when there was the false alarm of a nuclear strike on Hawaii and everyone went on to Pornhub immediately. And are those going to be useful to you and future scholars and activity on dating sites? Is that information released? Oh, God, it's amazing. Like, it's an absolute goldmine. I mean, you know, there's a lot of ethical issues, loads with companies like Pornhub and the people who they're posted aren't getting paid and are effectively stealing stuff. So, you know, on principle, I absolutely hate them. But once a year, they release their data, their data sets. And it's just an absolute goldmine. You can see what people have been looking at, at what dates, what things spike, what countries are most into lesbian sex, what countries women are most into watching gay porn. You can see country by country, city by city, and you can see an absolute breakdown of every single demographic. It's fascinating. And you can go and have a look at it as well. It's for anybody to look at. So if anyone catches you looking at Pornhub, 
just tell them I was looking at the data sets for 2019. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. But things like whether there's a massive spike in the dating apps, I mean, presumably all of these sites, whether it's porn or whether it's dating, enable you to tell the story of this quarantine in a previously unimaginable way. Absolutely. In a way that it's never been able to do before. And it's all data scraping. It's all what they do with your data. But if there is a positive side to that, it's that we will be able to see exactly when the spikes in online dating and hookup culture. Apparently, there's already been like a big surge in people sending nudes to one another and online dating has surged already. So you can see that behaviour creeping in. This is going to be able to lead us to be able to document human sexual behaviour in a times of pandemic like never before. Do we include spousal and domestic abuse where it strays over into sexual assault? This is something we're hearing a lot about at the moment. Is this something that you've come across in historical record as well? It's difficult because when you're dealing with things like sexual assault, sexual violence is, of course, they happen. Of course they did. But anybody who's researching that will know that it's a very, very difficult subject to research. Think, for example, of just today how difficult it is for people to come forward and to talk about something that's happened and the difficulty in getting a conviction and that's today with all of our sensitivities and awareness for example in the middle ages if you made a report of rape the woman would have to go and report it to effectively like the sort of the council of the village elders if that's not scary enough having to stand there and say that but the solution to it was almost always to marry the attacker so why would you possibly report that? And then, of course, something else that happened is if you want to get married to somebody, but you know that your family don't approve of them, if you make that accusation, then you'll have to marry them. So the date is completely off to kilter. But we do have evidence for it, certainly. And in times of war and in times of violence, sexual violence does increase exponentially. Just think of the Red Army marching on Berlin. Obviously, the violence on the battlefield, as it were, an advancing army, that's one thing. Why do we think sexual violence... It's intensified in the home during times of lockdown. Is it a feeling of the abusers feel that they can't control what's going on around them and that becomes an act of perverted control? It seems to be. I mean, I'm not for one second suggesting that you or anybody who's watching this is a domestic abuser, but I think we can all know that it feels very stressful to be in this situation. Everybody's felt more stressed. Everybody's felt more emotional, more snapping. So it turns up the heat and the intensity on every single situation that everybody is living in. And if you're living with a domestic abuser, that will increase as well. And domestic abuse is about control. So if you're suddenly in a situation where you don't have as much control as you thought you would then it does increase. And there's also very, very solid research to show that domestic abuse increases around the time of pregnancy as well, because that's about not having control over the woman and maybe being jealous and those kind of feelings. So there are very strong factors that will influence it and can make it worse. And as we're seeing is that reports to women's refuges and shelter and, and domestic violence helplines have skyrocketed now. On a lighter note, we just got a comment from Steve. I'll just call him Steve. How do they know when someone sends nudes, question mark, exclamation mark? Steve, are you asking for a friend, buddy? They're monitoring everybody's text messages. That's not true. This research came out of the Kinsey Institute, where they are sampling people, they're surveying people. So it'll be somewhere in the data that they are asking those questions. They're not just checking up on you, Steve. Don't worry, you're safe. Steve, tell your friend. Tell your friend everything's going to be OK. You do a huge amount of advocacy work with sex workers as well. Looking back through history is... Quarantine presumably is a even more difficult time for them 
It is. It absolutely is. So we'll start off by saying that sex work is a hugely broad experience and it's very, very complex. There's lots of different people within it. But the people that I work with and basis work with are the most vulnerable. So they tend to present with things like homeless issues and addiction issues. They engage in what's known as survival sex work. So they're kind of working to feed a habit. And obviously, suppose they could be recognised as self-employed, but they haven't filed tax returns, so they can't get any money at all. So they're completely cut off. But all throughout history, sex workers have been targeted as vectors of disease and blamed for disease. If we're looking at something like the First World War and the Second World War, is although they had this huge battle on the Western Front, they had this other battle going on the whole time, which is try and keep soldiers out of the brothels and away from women. And they did that by targeting the sex workers. For example, in America, the Rockefeller Foundation issued a $35,000 grant in 1914 to run an experiment in a Virginia town called Newport News. And part of that meant rounding up and quarantining women suspected of sex work, where they were held indefinitely against their will until the end of the war. And what was that supposed to prove? I'm sure that you know this, but just if anybody doesn't. So they started the First World War. And at the beginning of the war, for example, Kitchener, when all of our troops were going off, he put a little note into all of the soldiers' pay packets, which was on the correct conduct of the British soldier, which went on and on and on. And then it had this little bit about how you must stay away from wine and women. That was the advice. So in the beginning, everyone thought that was enough. We'll just tell the soldiers, please don't do that and that will be fine. And then a couple of months in, STD levels rocketed. Now, if you get an STD, it's really no big deal. It's a few embarrassing phone calls, some antibiotics. Yes, there are STDs that can be life changing, but we can deal with the majority of them. In 1914, if you got syphilis or gonorrhea, that would be four weeks in the hospital. And the treatment for it was regular scrubs with a wire brush and antiseptic and then filling the bladder full of antiseptic through the urethra. They do it for four weeks. So you're losing every man that this happens to for four weeks. He can't fight. It was like 10% of the armed forces they were losing. So then suddenly they have to come up with an idea of how the hell can we stop them doing this? And then it's really fraught between people that just think, well, we'll just ban them from having sex. And then other people that say, well, they're about to go to a war, let them have sex. It's a real moral battlefield. And it was really divided between the Americans who went, right, we're going to go hardcore here. We're going to lock up anyone, lewd women. Any soldier who is caught with venereal disease will have his pay stopped. If he doesn't report having venereal disease, he can be court-martialed. And they did these public penis inspections designed to be really humiliating. And then along with that is they had the powers to arrest and quarantine any women suspected of sex work and basically send them to re-education centres throughout the length of the war. And then there was the Germans who went, I know what we'll do, we'll be really practical. And they provided brothels and condoms and sex heads and all these kind of things. And then the Brits were in the middle going, la 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 it's not happening. That's what we did. That sounds very British indeed. It's true that they had different brothels for the officers and the men, which is also quite British. They did. They were called blue lamp brothels for the officers and red light brothels for the grunts, for everybody else. And the British had a really uneasy relationship with it because... We didn't want to be seen to encouraging this, to be encouraging vice. But at the same time, we didn't want to say that they couldn't do that because they were about to go and die and we knew it was good for morale. We were really paralysed with inactivity. We didn't really know what to do. It wasn't until the final months of the war that we said that, right, British soldiers aren't allowed in French brothels anymore. We dallied for ages. We've got so much wonderful information on this 
from the 20th century. When you're going back to the Black Death, you must be clutching at straws, are you? Yeah, you don't want to say you're clutching at straws, but what you'd have to say is that the resources are not as thorough and as complete as they are in the 20th century, not at all. But that doesn't mean that you don't have evidence. People were really meticulous records of what it was like to live through that, and you can kind of piece it all together. But there's no denying that the records are not as thorough as Germany kept on French brothels in the First World War. And so this is why you're encouraging everyone to take part in these modern surveys of sexual activity during, because it's going to make your successors going to make their lives so much easier. Oh, it so will. Just imagine that if we knew that stuff about the Black Death. If we could get that detail from just every peasant locked inside, what were they doing? What were they thinking about? What porn were they looking up? And we don't have it, you know, were they just watching porn by tapestry or something? We'll never know. We'll never know. Well, listen, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. The book is called? A Curious History of Sex. It's a fantastic book. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. I feel the hope you enjoyed the podcast just before you go bit of a favor to ask i totally understand if you don't want to become a subscriber or pay me any cash money makes sense but if you could just do me a favor it's for free go to itunes or wherever you get your podcast if you give it a five star rating and give it an absolutely glowing review purge yourself give it a glowing review i'd really appreciate that it's tough weather that law of the jungle out there and uh, i need all the fire support i can get so that will boost it up the charts it's so tiresome but if you could do it i'd be very very grateful thank you Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just one pound a month when you use code DANSNOW at checkout.